Uh, can you hear me out there okay? All righty. All right. If you have, uh, will turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11, 39 and, thir- and 40. Hebrews chapter 11, 39 and 40. And I do know several of our uh, churches that have uh, called off service tonight, so you can say you're part of the faithful few tonight. Amen. Even First Baptist called off their service. Of course, they, they can afford to. They're going to go to heaven anyway, so that's right. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that's just a joke, folks. <laughs> All right, don't look. All right, Hebrews eleven thirty nine 39, and 40. And all these things, and all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. I want to look uh, at the first um, part of verse 39. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith. I'm going to speak tonight on the subject, don't look at the snapshot. Don't look at the snapshot. There's some, some pretty rough looking uh, photos from high school. And uh, the worst looking one there in the middle is me from junior high right there. The one that's kind of faded, that's actually me from junior high. And uh, you thought I looked rough now. Uh, I, I look anemic right there. In fact, I had on a shirt that had been handed down to me from Barry that had been handed down to Barry from Travis. Now, there were two different things. One, uh, what Barry and Travis wore in probably the fifth grade or, or fourth grade didn't fit me until I was probably in the seventh grade. Another thing is, is that Travis is eight, uh, almost eight years older than me, so something that he wore uh, in 1972 is something that I wore in 1982. The styles had changed a little bit, so that shirt has curb finders on it. Do you know what a curb finder is? You know, you know on, the, on the tires, sometimes on these trucks, they'll have a little thing that sticks out that that kind of alerts you when you're going to hit something. Well, the style in shirts back in the 70s was these collars that were about this long. I called them curb finders. That wasn't still in style in 1982 so, uh, or 1980, so that's, uh, that's me. I want to encourage you tonight not to look at the snapshot. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the meat of the message tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, we're praying, God, that you'd help us, Lord, as we speak tonight. On this subject, help us to hear and experience the truth of God's Word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. It helped my feelings if you gave the Lord a hand clap of praise right now. Come on. Boy, that was a good one. Now, I want you to pretend a little bit with me tonight. I want you to kind of have a uh, sanctified imagination. And I want you to pretend that you were part of a committee that was selecting an associate pastor that you were hire, part of a committee tasked with proposing to the church an associate pastor and I want to give you option A and option B I want to give you candidate one and candidate two so I want you to listen to candidate one 
Candidate one is a, an impressive man. He's even, he's even physically impressive. He looks the part of a leader. He inspires confidence in people. And he has, he has a strategic mind. In fact, he is a man of, of some daring. He is also a man that God utilizes him. There are times that the Spirit of God comes on him in such a mighty way and God uses him to prophesy his word. He's not a perfect man because no one is. He is a man that sometimes in his desire to please people is a little bit lax in carrying through on things that he feels the Lord's telling him because he wants to please the people. In fact, sometimes he can get ahead of God in trying to please people. And sometimes, because he is a people pleaser, sometimes it causes his leadership uh, to be uh, uh, a little less than it ought to be because he wants to please people. Candidate two is a man that is a nice looking man and he is absolutely uh, beyond doubt one of the most talented people and smart, intelligent people that you would ever know. People are drawn to him and he operates under the anointing. He's a great singer, he's a great musician and he's even a songwriter. He too is used at times to, to prophesy the Spirit of God is on him. Now he has some problems that, to be honest with you, seem to be, I think, a little bit worse than the problems that the first person, candidate one, has. He's, he, to be honest, he has, has had in his history a weakness when it comes to the opposite sex. Uh, in fact, um, in his past he has committed adultery. In fact, he was indicted in conspiracy to commit, commit murder uh, for um, uh, his mistress's husband. But he is a person that those that know him say that he has a heart for God. Now, would you choose, out of those two candidates, would you choose candidate one or candidate two? How many, based on that resume, would say, if I had to choose between those two, I'd pick candidate one? Now, I'm not saying if you know, <laughs> if you think you know who it is, I'm saying, based on those resumes, would you convict some, would you choose somebody who was guilty of being a people pleaser over somebody who was an adulterer and a murderer. Now be honest, how many would pick candidate one? Sure you would. You and I would pick King Saul over King David based on that resume, wouldn't you? What I'm trying to get you to realize is that if you take a snapshot of either man in their life, freeze frame. Now, that's kind of antiquated uh, language, a snapshot, a photograph. 
Because we don't, we don't do that anymore. Our, our cameras don't even use film anymore. In fact, most of us don't even have a camera. I've got, a, I've got about a $1,200 camera at the house I never use because I carry my phone with me everywhere. My phone takes almost as good pictures as that does. I don't even print out the pictures. I just leave them on the phone. I look at them on the phone. And so now we've got Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook. And there's the thing I love about Facebook is that all of you out there, especially those of you that lived a little while, that 10 years ago you were talking about, I don't understand it, I don't like it, I don't want it. Who wants Facebook? Now you're on Facebook and your grandchildren think Facebook's for old people. <laughs> they get on Facebook, but they only get on Facebook to keep up with their grandparents. So it's a little antiquated, but the truth of the matter is, is if you take an Instagram, a tweet, a snapshot, a Facebook post, whatever you want to call it, if you take it of certain moments in your life and you judge your life or the life of others based on that frozen moment in time, you can get a very different opinion of that person than you would if you know the whole story. And the fact of the matter is, is that you and I are still in the middle of our stories. Our stories are still going on. So even if you take a snapshot of where we are individually right now, you can't get a fair assessment of what our life is going to be. Even if you got pictures from every phase of our life, we still don't know what the end might be yet. I remember hearing about a guy that, uh, when he was uh, fairly young, he lost his job and he, he ran for state senate, state legislator. He lost that. He failed about uh, two years later. He failed in business. He was finally elected to the state uh, senate. But then, in the midst of that, his sweetheart died. He had a nervous breakdown. He ran for Speaker of the House and was defeated for that. He ran for... Congress and did not receive his party's nomination. He finally was elected to Congress, but then he lost his bid to be renominated. He was rejected as the land officer position. He was defeated in his run for U.S. Senate. He was defeated in his run for nomination of the vice president. He was again defeated in a run for U.S. Senate. And then in 1860, he was elected president. And his name was Abraham Lincoln. By the way, when he was elected president, down in South Carolina, they fired on the Union and it started the Civil War. But he was victorious. He held the Union together and the, the Union won the Civil War, held it together. He didn't get to enjoy it for long because when he was trying to get his mind off his troubles, he went to Ford Theater and somebody, John Wilkes Booth, put a bullet through the back of his head. And yet we celebrate him today. He's on Mount Rushmore. He was, not, he was criticized in his day even by members of his own party. If you took snapshots of Abraham Lincoln's life, you probably would not come away with the opinion that you hold of him unless you watched the whole movie. Life is a feature-length movie. It is not a snapshot. Now maybe I'm talking to somebody here that you have never known defeat. Maybe you've succeeded at everything you've tried to do. Maybe you've never known scandal. Perhaps from the time that you were saved, you've lived a pure, pristine life. 
Maybe you have never known heartache. Maybe everything you've touched has turned to gold. You've never known failure at home or in business. Maybe life's been pretty good and you would be a great example of what success looks like. But then again, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. However, maybe you're here and even at this phase of your life right now, you're in the middle of feeling defeat. Maybe you feel lost. Maybe you feel like that the things you've given your life to have fallen down around you. Maybe you're suffering under heartache or grief. Maybe you're at the lowest ebb. But then again, it ain't over yet. You cannot judge your life or the life of anyone else based on snapshot moments. Snapshots do not give a fair representation. This picture up here of me when I was in the seventh grade does not give you the idea that I would be the Brad Pitt that I turned out to be. Snapshots don't tell the whole story. And so we turn to Hebrews the 11th chapter. How many knows what Hebrews the 11th chapter is called? Anybody? The hall of faith or the hall of heroes. It, it, it is the hall of fame for the Bible. It lists the heroes of the Bible. And I want to just go through most of them. I won't call out all of them, but most of them. And I want you to see that some of them suffered great personal tragedy. Some of them even committed great sin. But they're in the hall of faith. Abel, Abel, who you can't say anything bad about, but Abel was the first murder victim. He's the first one in the hall of faith, and he's the first murder victim. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was perfect and just in his generation. But after the ark landed, he got drunk, and his own children saw him naked and drunk. Not a very good snapshot of a moment. Abraham, the father of faith, the world's three greatest religions numerically are dated back to Abraham. The Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all count Abraham as father. But Abraham was a liar. He said that to two different kings on two different occasions that his wife was his sister, which it was only a half lie. She was his half-sister, but she was his whole wife. But to protect himself, he allowed his wife to cohabitate with other men. Thankfully, the Lord seemed to protect her integrity. Abraham, the father of the faithful, had a illegitimate son by his wife's handmaid trying to rush God. He had some conflict with his own nephew who rode his coattails. His name was Lot. And then finally, because of his mistake, he had to send his son Ishmael away. And it broke his heart to send his own son away for the sake of peace in his home. Sarah, his wife, who God opened her womb at a, at a, at a very late age, 
the Lord opened her womb, and yet at, at contemplating the promises of God, she scoffed and laughed at the promises of God. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, it's where we get the nation of Israel, the tribes of Israel, the children of Israel, those are the children of Jacob. Jacob was a con man, pars excellence. He was the biggest cheat and con man that you would ever know. He cheated his brother out of uh, his birthright, made kind of a, a deal at a weak moment of his brother. But worse than that, and I, I still have trouble with this one, his, his blind, dying father. He goes in and pretends to be, conspires with his mother against his twin brother and goes in and pretends to be Esau so he can steal the blessing of the firstborn from his dying blind father. That's pretty low. I had a, a great-grandfather that, that when his father died, my great-great-grandfather, he kept his money under his pillow, and when he died, uh, some of, uh, a couple of his sons who were drunkards went in, couldn't wait to run their hand up under his, pick, uh, his pillow and get his money so they could go out and drink it up. And that's kind of the person that Jacob was. Moses knew some personal struggles. Moses uh, was not able to be raised in his father's home. He was adopted. He was raised in luxury in the home of the Pharaoh. But when he got older, he committed manslaughter. Buried it, ran out into the, into the uh, wilderness, spent 40 years as a shepherd, a has-been, before the Lord called him through a bush that was on fire and not consumed. Rahab. There's the thing I love about Rahab. Rahab was a tremendous hero of the faith, but even in the New Testament, she's never mentioned that somebody didn't call her by her title. Rahab the harlot. She was a prostitute. Gideon is mentioned. Gideon was a coward and after later in life he was drawn away by his own wealth and fame. Barak was also cowardly. He, didn't, he was a general. He wouldn't go without Deborah going with him. Samson, we just spent, we just spent too many weeks studying Samson. I don't guess there's anybody, whether they're in politics or Hollywood or anywhere else that was any more morally corrupt than Samson. And David, we mentioned, was an adulterer and murderer, even though Scripture says he was a man after God's own heart. That's, that is, that's said in the Old Testament, and that's affirmed in the New Testament. Samuel, it's hard to say anything bad about Samuel, but Samuel was chosen and he was chosen, one of the reasons he was chosen is because Eli, the priest's sons, were so corrupt. And God chose Samuel. But Samuel, when he got older, his sons were just as corrupt as Eli's sons. And then the Bible says the prophets. Elijah was a man that, of light passions as we are. He prayed that it wouldn't rain the 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 heavens stopped up and then he prayed again and rain came. He, he called down fire out of heaven, but then he drug himself up under a juniper tree and said, Lord, kill me. It's better off that I die. I'll tell you, there's been a few times 
in my life that I thought that I got to that place. Never got to the place that I wanted to take my own life. Never even came close to that. I'm just crazy about mama's baby. But there have been a time or two that I've said to the Lord, Lord, if there ain't no better from, for me, I, I, I'd just rather you take me on. However, I have a hunch that in that moment, if somebody had tried to take me up on the offer, <laughs> I would have changed my mind very quickly. Elijah got discouraged. Jeremiah was a man that was so persecuted. He was known as the weeping prophet, crying over the sins of his people and the coming judgment. And he cried out to God even when he was in prison, even when he was beaten, even when he was rejected. He cried out to God for his people, and then they got to talking about him. And when they got to talking about him, he cried out to God and said, Lord, wipe them out. Now here's what the Bible says of that ragtag group that I just read to you about. Verse 33. All of this group who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lion, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became violent in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these having obtained a good testimony through faith. That whole crowd that I just talked to you about, some of them that suffered personal tragedy, others that had uh, tragedy and scandal brought on by their own waywardness and sinfulness. Yes, some of them before they were converted, others uh, after they were converted. All of that crowd, the Lord said, I've looked at the whole movie. I've watched the whole movie to the end. And every one of them, even Samson, said every one of them obtained a good report through faith. Isn't that amazing? That if you look at those people and judge them by the snapshot. Now, let me tell you what I'm not trying to do. I'm not trying to tell you it's all right that we sin. I'm not trying to tell you it's all right that we live below God's best for us. I'm not trying to say it doesn't matter. These people suffered greatly the consequences of their own actions. They were blessed by God, chosen by God, but they had suffering in life, much of it that was brought on by their own sin. And those people that I talked to you about were people that lived in the old covenant and they had not been born again. So we look at the New Testament, and, we, and they do fare better. They do fare better. There's Peter the Rock. He only denied Jesus three times and cursed and said he didn't know him. Right? I mean, they fared better, but they were far from perfect. Any one of them. And let's not just talk about their actions. Let's talk about what they went through. You look at Peter. He was thrown in prison. He was crucified upside down. 
Look at Paul. God saved him, wonderfully saved him. But he was beaten within an inch of his life three times. He was shipwrecked. He spent a day and a night in the deep. He was under the peril of sword. He was under the peril of his own countrymen, under the peril of the Romans, and he ended up beheaded on a Roman chopping block. Over and over again, if you take the snapshot, it doesn't always look like that things turned out like they wanted them to for the people of God. But you've got to watch the movie to the end. And you've got to understand that your life's story is still being told. That it's not over yet. And whatever the snapshot at this moment in time looks like for you, don't get discouraged by the snapshot. Don't judge your future by your present. I I, I don't want to just make this a talking point in a sermon, but I think it probably needs to be said that all all of these young people that have gone the way of taking their own lives. They do that because they're convinced that the snapshot of the moment is the definition of their life. They decide if this is what life is, I can't take it anymore. And maybe they've never been told that life is not a snapshot that you've got to watch the whole movie. Have you ever stepped in to a movie that was playing on television? You came in and your spouse or your children were watching a movie and you came halfway through and you watched it for a few moments and you said, I don't want to watch that junk. I ain't got a clue what's going on. That's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. But you didn't catch the beginning and you didn't stick around for the end. And then maybe at a later time you caught it from the beginning and the story intrigued you. And you watched it all the way through to the end. And when you watched it all the way through, you realized that part that you didn't understand, that you thought was silly or crazy, you realized it was part of an overall story and maybe you've come to like the movie. I'm telling you, that's the way life is. You can't judge your life by one scene. You can't judge the play by one act. You can't look at one moment in your life and say, well, if this is all it is, I'm through. I'm checking out. Because God has a happy ending to the story of every one of his children. Sometimes the last act doesn't look like it's going to land on its feet. When I go out to the nursing home and I see people of God that are there sometimes out of their minds suffering I say well Lord is this is this what the end of serving you looks like and I'm reminded that the story is not over even with the grave that God's story is an eternal story <laughs> and it always for everyone that puts faith in him it always has a happy ending. And I love it. I, I, I don't have a, a fairy tale view of life 
But I do love that the only story that really matters, which is ours, does end like a fairy tale. That we live happily ever after. That regardless of how life ends on earth, life doesn't end, we have a happily ever after. Well, I wasn't here the other day when Wayne Wozniak was here, and I don't know if he shared this with you, but he gave me a little book. And he told me, he left word for me, he said, if you'll read the first two stories, you'll read the whole book. So I, just before church, I had a little extra time, and I read the first couple of lines of the story from the mission field. And it spoke to me. I want to read it to you because it's kind of shocking to me. It's called The Jubilant Widow. I won't read the whole thing, but I want to read the first part in it. I'm a widow. My first husband was a drunkard who was terribly abusive to our children and me. He wasted his money on alcohol with no concern for our needs. He embarrassed us lying in the streets in his own urine and vomit. I am so glad he died. Maria, the wife of Pastor Esteban Vargas, Started us, startled us with these words during our first visit to their home. Wayne said, I'm sorry to hear that, I said, feeling condolences were in order. She said, well, I'm not, she exclaimed, surprising us once again. My second husband loves me. He takes good care of us, putting our needs before his own. He treats us all with dignity and respect and is loving and kind-hearted, and he is a pastor. I remembered thinking, wow, that is a nice testimony, but I think you might need some therapy. What well, shocking to hear a Christian say, I'm glad my first husband died. See, hear the rest of the story. They lived way up in the mountains, and he would leave them at night to suffer in the cold on their own. He said, my first husband died and I'm glad he's dead. That's coming from a Christian woman. Do you understand how he died? He died at the foot of the cross. The old man died and he became a brand new man. And the same guy with the same face and the same name, but who was a brand new man, now pastors a church and is a loving husband. In fact, he, he's a pastor. His wife, of course, is the pastor's wife. Both of his children went to Bible school. His son has entered the ministry and his daughter married a pastor and they're in the ministry. All because she got a brand new husband. He looked the same, but he wasn't the same man. And if you took a snapshot of Esteban Vargas's life, when his wife and kids were starving and freezing while he was drunk in the street lying in his own urine and on vomit, you'd say, oh my word, what a loser. But if you watch the movie to the end because of the grace of God, you say, what a hero of the faith. Because when you watch it all the way through, you said, by faith, he's obtained a good report. 
I just want to encourage you and me. I want to encourage you, don't judge life by the snapshot of a moment frozen in time. Trust God as He directs our lives and play life out to the very end. Now here's the thing about it. There's some people that live life, they think, I'm an actor in my own life, but I've just got to uh, wing it. And I don't know how it's going to end. So I just go through life winging it. But I'm going to tell you, God doesn't keep, he doesn't, he doesn't keep all of the script secret. He gives us part of the script and he says, I'm not going to tell you how everything's going to end, but I am going to tell you how to play out this scene. I am going to tell you how to live life so that life will turn out right. So when we can go by the script, we have the assurance that I'm doing the things today that are going to make a happy ending tomorrow. Now I've got a choice. I can sit by the lamplight at my home and I can flip through the pages of my memory book. I hesitate to say this because it's, it's, it's personal and I don't want to do any respect, disrespect to the people that I'm talking to, but I think you'll understand. As you know, I had a, have a brother that pastored for 14 years in this town and after 27 years of marriage, they divorced. And one of the things that breaks my heart for him so much is that every time he watches a Christmas video when his children were small, every time that he flips through the photo book, there's the pain that life's not like that anymore. Every memory is tainted somewhat. He hasn't told me that, but I just know that that's the way it is. And I tell you that to say you can look back over the snapshots of your life and some of us look through it and we remember the good times. In fact, sometimes we're, we're paralyzed by looking back over the good, the good times and smiling and saying, boy, I wish that life was like that again. Or some of us can look back and say, boy, I remember that was a bad day. I remember that was a tough fight time. And we let the snapshots frozen in time define us. But don't allow the snapshots of the past or the snapshots of the present to define what your story is going to be. You and I can make choices today to let God direct the picture. And if we do, we'll have a happy ending. Amen. I want you to stand. We're going to gather in the altar.